0: Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful Podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta who said, Do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible. For you, the listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, with a free 30-day trial of Audible, you can get my new book, The Other Side of Beauty, read to you by yours truly for free. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Audible is Amazon's audio bookstore, and it has over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from. And so if you're like me and you like to listen to books while you travel, exercise, or cook, this is perfect for you to get my audiobook for free. All you gotta do is go to audibletrial.com slash Leadero. That's audibletrial.com slash Leadero, and you're in. The Do Something Beautiful podcast is also brought to you by Haiti 180. If you want to do something beautiful in the world, but find yourself busy, possibly overwhelmed with life, family, or work, but you still want to donate money for a good cause, you can still do something beautiful by becoming a Team 180 member. Haiti 180 provides an orphanage for 40 children, two elderly homes, a school for over 200 students, and a medical clinic in a small village in the hills of Haiti. Now, many of the listeners of this podcast have generously donated over $26,000 to build the maternity wing of the new hospital. And for as little as $15 a month, you can sponsor an orphan. That's 50 cents a day, people, 50 cents a day to help a little boy or a little girl have a good and just life. I've been there. I have seen their good works. And I continue to give them my time, talent, and treasure. And I'm asking you to do the same. Go to Haiti180.com and do something beautiful with me. That's Haiti180.com. Hey there, friends. Today, I get to talk to president and founder of New Wave Feminist, Destiny Herndon De La Rosa. Destiny is from Dallas, Texas. She considers herself a man-made feminist, which is interesting. She'll explain later in the podcast. And she has started this movement called New Wave Feminist that we're going to talk about. And she has this quote on her website that's called Consistent Life Ethic. They are a pro-life group. And what I really like about this conversation that we have with her is we talk about the pro-life movement, but from a completely secular point of view. There's no theology in here, although it obviously has a place. But in this particular instance, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a human rights issue, a consistent life ethic, and really how she defines feminism versus how the pro-choice movement defines feminism. Really interesting conversation. A great gal who's doing fantastic work in the pro life movement. You will not be disappointed. We're going to talk a lot about her and her life, how she became pregnant at 16, and a lot of things that kind of rolled into her life that she didn't really think was going to happen, but it's helped her understanding herself better and the pro life movement better. So you will enjoy this one. I will not disappoint. Without further ado, here is Destiny. All right. And welcome back to the podcast and welcome, Destiny. Thank you so much for having me. you got such a great name. I mean, how did you get that name? Let's just start there. Let's just start in the beginning.
1: Okay. So (laughs) my mom says that she went away and like prayed in a pregnancy cave or something. I don't know. It's some big mythical story. And she came away and my name was Destiny. And my middle name, which I never tell anyone. So I'm now going to tell your very large audience is actually Promise, (laughs) which... You know, that's why I don't go by my middle name. So my name is Destiny Promise. And that was kind of her whole belief was that my destiny was promised from, you know, the moment that that I first existed. Uh so really I had no choice but to become a pro-life activist after that.
0: Wow. I mean, we couldn't have planned a better <laughs> first 20 seconds of a podcast ever. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh my god. Destiny promise. I mean Can you imagine like I mean I can't imagine being a mom getting upset at my child and screaming (laughs) it from across the playground, Destiny promise, get your butt
1: over here. Also as a kid, when you're wanting to just hang out with the Tiffany's and like the Laurels, like it's kind of hard being Destiny Promise, but I own it now. I'm I'm okay with it. So thank you for letting me now let my secret out on your podcast.
0: I absolutely love it. I'm we are honored. I love it. I'm I'm writing it down right now like it just looks amazing on paper. I am so excited about your name that you've had your whole life, but I just found out about. It. Wonderful. Okay. So, so here we go. Destiny, promise? So, okay, here we go. You are president and founder of New Wave Feminist. I have come to know you just by following a ton of different pro-life organizations and groups and I love I've been kind of fascinated, especially after my conversion, and kind of for me living this kind of wild and crazy life and coming back to the church, to look at the pro-life movement and see secular groups popping up that are taking on this pro-life movement from a different angle. And that really fascinated me because when I was kind of far from just a sane brain, I took on this like liberal feminist ideal, and I thought I was all all of that in a bag of chips, and that I didn't need anybody, and who I was, but was defined by these certain terms and values that really had nothing to do with my identity. And all that got wrapped up, and I had to like kind of like rework it. So when I kind of came back to my senses a bit, there was still this sense of like, but what else is out there on the other side? Because you kind of feel like you're not quite, you're just not quite sure. And so I kind of want to start there with new wave feminist because I think it, you know, I love the name of it. But for you what does feminism mean for you like how do you define that how how does a new wave feminist define feminism
1: Yeah I mean I think in its most basic terms feminism is a belief that women should have the same rights and opportunities as men and I think that obviously kind of third wave feminism has taken that and run in some really extreme directions and so as someone who's anti-abortion, because I view it as violence against the weakest and most vulnerable members of society, I could never be a feminist who supported abortion, but at the same time, I could never be a pro-life person who wasn't a feminist. <laughs> like both of these are very much at the core of who I am. And so it became very important for me to create a space where I could exist and where other women like me could exist. And that was probably the coolest thing, you know, creating new a feminists and then seeing so many women who came out of the woodwork and said, "Okay, thank you. Like, I felt like I couldn't be a feminist for so long because it has become so synonymous with abortion. And, you know, they view it the same way I do, that this is not strength. It is not a liberating act. It actually makes women incredibly exploitable and asks us to go against the very thing that our bodies are capable of doing that I personally think is incredibly powerful and phenomenal. And it's saying, no, this is you know, a liability. This is a weakness. And so rewriting that narrative and saying, let's think this through, because as you mentioned, so many women are just a pro-choice feminist. We call that like the default feminist position. You have your feminist starter kit when you go to college that says you have to think this way, but it's much more nuanced than that. And once we actually start talking to women, especially women who have had abortions, And we start hearing their stories and understanding how many of them were coerced or it was a male in their life, you know, who who was saying, you have to go through with this. I'm not going to stay with you. And beyond that, just just all of the different stories of women who maybe even thought it was the right choice for them. But 20 years later are still thinking about that decision. You know, there hasn't been much of a space for pro-choice liberal feminist women to discuss that. When they talk about abortion, it always has to be done in a very positive light. Otherwise, they're, you know, accused of stigmatizing this procedure. And so we've found a lot of women who, you know, are on the other side, who do kind of understand where we're coming from and say, okay, you know what? Yes, this is one of the choices that women have. But just because we have the right to do something, should we do it? Is it actually good for us? And they know from personal experience
0: that it's not. So how does the pro-choice movement define feminism?
1: I think many of them obviously see it as synonymous with abortion access and abortion rights. And, you know, you hear the the old adage that it's my body, my choice. That's so anti-science, though. At the end of the day, it's not your body. It's a completely different body inside your body, like I'll give you that. But it's a completely unique genetic creation with its own DNA and heartbeat and brainwaves and half the time a completely different gender. So that is not your body. And I think that that's something as a science loving secular feminist (laughs) that I have a really hard time believing that someone's human rights should be determined by a whim of another person, how they feel towards you, whether you are wanted or unwanted should not determine scientifically and
0: biologically whether or not you are a human being. So how, I mean, just I'd love to get your opinion. How do you think this got so wrapped together where it's like you can't even pull it apart and if you are, you're going to be like eaten up by people or media or whatever it might be of of being pro-choice and being a feminist. Like why does that why today is that message so united? Like like why can't we pull that apart?
1: I mean, honestly, this is where I kind of put on my conspiracy theorist hat and start saying like we have to follow the money we have to see what entities benefit from abortion. And obviously we know that there's a large abortion industry that profits financially from this decision. You know, that's what always gets me is when pro-choice people are talking about, you know, the pro-life side in disparaging ways when it's like, don't you realize that when a woman chooses life for her child, that's where our, you know, time and talents and money go towards is helping her make this nonviolent choice. So the pro-life movement, doesn't have a lot of money. We don't have money for marketing campaigns and, you know, all of these cute hot pink signs that you see everywhere like Planned Parenthood does. Our money is actually going towards helping women. So when you see that the abortion industry is able to profit from abortion, obviously, they're also able to do a lot of marketing with that and say, this is empowering to women. This is liberating. And they get to kind of create that narrative. And this is where the conspiratorial start Thought process also starts for me is the fact that if you look at the government, the government has a vested interest in low income women who are often minorities aborting. It's much cheaper to subsidize a $500 abortion than it is the cost of labor and delivery or any other type of government aid beyond that for years later. I just got back from Ireland where abortion is actually illegal. And you see the government is kind of pushing for a referendum. So that the people can vote to legalize it. And I went over there with one clear message like, pay attention to what you're doing. This is not something that is going to help women. Their maternal mortality rate is actually three times better than ours. So, three Mm -hmm. times as many women here in the States where abortion is legal are dying. And so, you can't say that it makes women healthier or better off, but it is much less expensive. And so, again, if we follow the money, I think we see why there are these other entities that definitely have a vested interest in women who have, you know, quote unquote, unplanned pregnancies terminating.
0: Well, if you like fashion, gourmet food and your faith, you need to know that I am leading a theology of beauty pilgrimage to Italy this July 2018 with Father Leo Paddlinghug, the famous cooking priest. We'll be heading out there July 7th through the 16th, and there are uh, there are still a few seats available, but I can't guarantee how long they're going to last, so you want to book it now. We will be heading up some amazing cities such as Milan, Turin, Venice, and of course, Roma. A pilgrimage is so much more than a vacation. It's really a time to unplug and reconnect to your faith and the people around you. It's a wonderful experience. You can find out every detail and the itinerary at my website, leadaro.com slash pilgrimage. Grab your spot now before it sells out, and I'll see you in Italy. And I find that a little ironic because typically, I think in my experience, when I was surrounded by feminists, quote, feminists who, who you know, were pro choice. They were also at the same time really big on, you know, organizations and missions to help people for like no money and volunteer and all of this thing of like surrounding the people to help them out of poverty or out of this area. And and so they're pushing towards that. But as you mentioned, there's so much money around the abortion industry that it's like if it's so great and if it's going to help women so much and be this a fantastic choice or just a choice that they should definitely have... Then why, then why are we not having doctors volunteer and people volunteer to work for free and keep everything up without any money being spent at all by anyone?
1: Well, and absolutely. And I think sometimes it just comes down to like trying to remove those blinders because I agree. I mean, I'm bleeding heart through about so many issues. And so I believe I subscribe to something called the consistent life ethic, that human beings should be free from violence for the duration of their life. So I'm anti-unjust war and anti-death penalty and anti-torture. And then I extend that into the womb where human beings are at their weakest and most vulnerable by also being anti-abortion. This is a violent act that takes away the life of a very marginalized group. And so as a feminist, when I look back at the roots of feminism, you know, the fact that women were treated like property for most of history and how, you know, these patriarchal constructs are the epitome of might makes right. I'm bigger than you, I'm stronger than you, so I can treat you as disposable and you know use violence against you, do whatever I want, I can oppress you. Well, now that women have gained rights and liberation, how are we justifying doing the exact same thing to an unborn human being? I mean, in my opinion, all we have done is pass down that very oppression that we have become liberated from.
0: Absolutely. Which kind of okay, gosh, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. I definitely want us to get into this new film that is going on. That you are a part of. But before I do that, let's go back. Let's go back to you starting, founding new wave feminists. How did that happen? Like what came down the path of your life that you thought, yes, this is what I'm going to put all my time and effort and energy and talents into. Can you just let us know that? Cause I, I know some pieces of the story. It's, it's, it's quite powerful. And I, I'd love for our listeners to hear that.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I actually formed New Wave Feminist, there was a local—we call it a restaurant, right? Like a Hooters type restaurant—that had this big billboard up, and these two women kind of like rubbing their chests together. And I was driving down the street with my son; it was right off the highway, and he's like, "That's not okay." And I looked at it and I said, "That's not okay. Why is this being this message? You know, um, of just women being sexualized in order to sell chicken wings being put in my face and my child's face?" And so I decided like, okay, I, we have to do something about this. We have to protest this. And so I set out and I talked to the city council and I wrote a letter to the billboard people and I wrote a letter to the restaurant. And of course, at the end of this, I'm like, I don't just want to sign my name. Like, who do they care if it's just one person? I was like, I need to, I need to grab a couple of friends together and we'll become like a group. And so I remember thinking, new wave feminists. Yeah, that sounds like a thing. And that was kind of just the end of it. It (laughs) took on a life of its own after that because. I realized that while we were off fighting these messages that sexualized women, which that is a huge part of my story, you know, kind of sneaking cosmos from the time I was 12 or 13 years old and reading through these pages where the first 20 pages are a bunch of airbrushed women who you will never be able to look like. Even these women don't look like that. And the next 20 pages is a bunch of products that you can buy in an attempt to look like these women, constantly reinforcing this message that your hair's not shiny enough, you're not skinny enough, your teeth aren't white enough, your skin's not clear enough. And then you follow it with another 20 pages of sex tricks. Because if you can't be pretty, and you can't feel good about yourself, and you can't be lovable, at least you can be good in the bedroom. That's where your power can come from. And your liberation is in your sexual prowess. And I think so many young women are just inundated by this message from a very young age. And it breaks us. It just it really, really does. And so backing up just a little bit, my mom actually became pregnant with me at 19 at the University of Texas. And she did not consider abortion, although it would have probably been viewed as the responsible choice by most of, you know, her peer group. And she's down in Austin away from her parents. And she knew, though, that I was a human being and I existed. And, you know, the choice had already been made. I was on the scene now. (laughs) And so she moved back up to Dallas, told my grandparents who are both ordained ministers that not only was she not a virgin, she was pregnant and she was single. And so thankfully she had that familial support and I was born and my childhood was pretty tough. She had a couple failed marriages. You know, I saw her working so incredibly hard. She ended up, you know, finishing her degree up, oftentimes working two jobs at a time. Like it was a struggle. It was not easy. And so more than anyone, I knew better than to repeat this cycle. But I also think that there was a lot of conditioning in my teen years that my sexuality was my power. And so I ended up pregnant myself, continuing the cycle at 16. And just like with my mom, I knew knew that the choice had already been made. I knew I was, you know, God willing, going to be having a child in nine months. But I also very vividly remember the feeling of just wanting to rip my stomach off of my body and run away from it and i was terrified and i could not believe that i had done this not only to myself but to a child because again being the child you know in this other scenario i knew how hard it was so you know, i i knew a lot of girls in high school who chose abortion and many of them you know at first i was very judgmental because i think i felt very kindred to the unborn child and i kind of had to realize that now i understood the perspective of the woman facing a crisis pregnancy as well and it is really scary And I had a family, I had insurance, I had, you know, my needs met, whereas many of these women didn't and actually had the opposite pressures saying, you know, if you want to have this baby, we're kicking you out of the house. Uh, Maybe they didn't have any type of medical care. Maybe they didn't know how to access resources in their communities. And so that really gave me a passion, not just for the unborn, but also for women. And so after we protest this billboard and we actually got it modified, we got (laughs) the, the offending part covered up. I was like, okay, this should be a thing. We have to do more stuff now. But I also realized that for me, the pro life message and the thought of women being sexualized really went hand in hand. I think a lot of pro life activists are wonderful when it comes to caring for the unborn child and the mother in that moment of need. But when we kind of pull back from that exact instance and see what led her to this place, oftentimes it is that culture that is telling her, She's only as valuable as her sexuality. You know, that's that is where all of her power lies. And when women have been as broken as many young women today are, it's very easy for them to actually choose abortion because they feel like it would be the merciful thing to do because they feel so unworthy. Why would they ever put a child through being raised by them? And that's why for me, pro-life feminism is All about what you can do. The abortion industry tells women what they can't do. You can't have this baby and go to college. You can't have this baby and be successful and have a, you know, career and a good relationship. You have to have an abortion. And to me, that's very anti-feminist. And so New Way Feminist wants to be here to say, you can do this. And we are here to support you and 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 help you making nonviolent choices.
0: I love that. And that's it's one of my favorite parts that's actually on your website is on the about section and we'll include all of these links in the show notes, but new wave com, you have on here. Let's work towards a culture that tells her you can, you are strong enough. And if you need help, we are here because that is what sisterhood is all about. Oh my gosh. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly it. like, why are we pitting ourselves against each other? And why, and why do we pit what's even within us against us, mm-hmm. you know? And so in you, you go on, and I love it. Our world spends a lot of time tearing down women. We want to be a part of building them up. So, I mean, I love that new wave feminists exist. So, with this and this amazing message, and and what you're doing, that and once again, that your consistent life ethic, which is so important, right? Because you can't be <laughs> you can't be pro life in one area and then not love and try to protect and defend life in all different other areas as well. Very happy to see that in your description of the group but what i want to kind of kind of talk about now or just a little bit is that a lot of times and to see how you have felt in this one a lot of times it seems like obviously the pro life movement it, it's wrapped around church it's wrapped around a basis of understanding the reasons why somebody pro life would just be like based in theology which are there i'm not denying that and for me as a catholic as a christian i mean yes i that's uh, i absolutely agree with that but what i really enjoy is seeing these secular groups pop up who are pro life and so and because as you've mentioned in the film that we'll talk about in just a minute you it's all it's on your website right here but that this is this is a human rights issue and
1: this is absolutely a human rights issue of the largest proportion and so yeah i mean we're really calling the other side to be consistent. If they want to stand up for the marginalized and oppressed, then they have to consider life inside the womb just as well, because science shows us that this is a human being. You know, back in 1973, it might have been easy to say, oh, it's just a blob of tissue or a clump of cells, because even our sonogram technology kind of reinforced that thought. But nowadays, especially among millennials, there are so many of us who have our own sonograms of 3D imagery of our hearts beating, you know at very young stages, and so to tell us that that's not a human being is laughable and is anti science at its core
0: yeah and it's so great to see that there's such that you don't have to always take up a certain side when you're talking about the life issue. It's just like you know if you're alive and if you're a human, then there you go
1: <laughs> I think, yeah, that's then, the, then the you, you have and you know the thing that you kind of touched on the fact that it is often. I would say kind of the narrative that's been created is that this is just a religious issue and you would only be pro-life if there was some dogmatic reason behind it. And that's just completely false. You know, I speak at a lot of colleges where I'll talk to young kids who have kind of been brought up with this thought process as well. And they think like, no, I need to have a Bible verse on my sign in this March, or I need to make sure that I have some biblical truth behind these certain things. But at the end of the day, this is what I always tell them um, as someone coming from a secular perspective. If you believe that there is a creator who created the earth and created everything in it, then science is part of his creation as well. And you can speak in science just as much as you can speak in scripture. I would almost actually argue that there's less human fingerprints when you're talking about the pure science of the unborn. And it's also a universal language. It's the one thing that breaks down barriers. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm talking to someone who's Hindu or Muslim or atheist or Catholic, you know, it it doesn't matter. We can all agree on the science of fetal development and, you know, our biological desire to protect the unborn. And so I've just found that it's really one of those things that connects us all on a much bigger level. And I was recently at a, Science museum here in Texas, and they had this big metal bench, and it said that the iron in our blood is from stars, trillions of miles away, from millions of of years ago. It's something. It was some quote like that, and it blew my mind. Just the fact that you know you, the fact that you are here on this earth right now is nothing short of miraculous. The fact that your DNA came together in the way it did on the day it did, like this is your one shot at existence. And that makes life so incredibly precious to me. And I think that for a lot of people, when we think outside of just, you know, the religious aspect and actually get into the science and embryology and biology behind the life of the unborn and the connections that it has to the woman, it puts us in such a powerful position as women as being able to contribute in this way and create a new life. I mean, it's phenomenal. And so again, it's something that as pro-life feminists, we see as one of our greatest strengths, not as this weakness or, or, you know, liability that we should be resentful towards in any way.
0: Absolutely. You know, just to comment on what you were just saying. I mean, I personally think that it's possible that this The seclusion of the pro-life message has been has been put towards just like this church issue, religion issue is also ploy that's been done from the pro-choice agenda to like deconstruct saying, oh, it's your silly religion. It's this because you believe in something else. It's because of this personal belief that you are tearing this down or that you're trying to like not allow women this choice. And I think the pro-choice agenda wants people to think it's just religion. It's just a religious. It's just the religious fanatics. It's those people who put the Bible verses on their sign. Because if they got to a place where we could say, no, there's actually something else going on here, it's talk about life and science that we now with all of our technology can see and know for sure, 100%, in case you're wondering outside of religion, this is a separate individual with its own DNA, then you're going to have to start figuring out how you're going to decide how you're going to play that tune of, it's still okay to kill the child.
1: I mean you're you are 100% right. I have been on so many panels where it's pro-life and pro-choice activists speaking together and I mean almost without fail every single time the pro-choice side will start talking about religion and accusing us of it being a religious argument. And every time we look at them like you are literally the first one to bring up religion. We don't bring up religion. Like this is something founded in in science. I mean we know that this is a completely unique genetic creation. And so You don't have to, um, you know, obviously many religions support this thought process, but it's certainly not something where you even have to go to that place to defend it. Because, again, I think that becomes very exclusionary because then you're talking to other people with your same thought process, whereas the science behind, you know, fetal development and everything else expands that base of people who you can
0: communicate with. Absolutely, because that's what we all have in common is life. And Absolutely. so you start there and you realize, yeah, it's very frustrating. <laughs> I'm sure as well, you they, probably they feel they don't like- want
1: us to have access to that, because like you said, then they are going to have to suddenly defend killing human beings at their weakest and most vulnerable stage. That's Absolutely. what it comes down to. And you already see some of them doing that. They say, OK, you're right. It is a human being, but we still feel like we should we are sh- our, our rights trump theirs and we should be able to kill them. And you know what? At least that is intellectually honest. It's horrifying, but at least then they're being intellectually honest,
0: right? And as it as you mentioned, it goes right back to the same mantra that's unfortunately oppressed people for for since the moment I guess humanity existed of might over right that one group one thought process is choosing whose life is worth living and who's not who gets to live who doesn't and as we know and it's this is way too much to go into this podcast it is a different topic but this is. There's a logical conclusion that happens here. I mean, we're okay with killing the child in the womb. We're okay with killing those at the end of their life because maybe they didn't their medication didn't get approved with an insurance, so they'll they'll give them the euthanasia over this and then like then human life is just up for grabs. And then we have this value of like when is life the most valuable for maybe society between what ages of a person's life and when you become deemed unworthy or invaluable? based on maybe what you could offer the world, then we'll eliminate those lives.
1: Absolutely. Or, you know, specific disabilities, right, that are diagnosed in utero. Now, suddenly the side that is always standing up for people with disabilities and not discriminating is saying, "Okay, well, as long as you get to them early enough and kill them in the womb, then we can consider that a win because now we've eradicated Down syndrome. (laughs) No, we haven't eradicated Down syndrome. We have killed people with Down syndrome. I mean, it's stuff like that, where it's, it gets into ableism and all of these other things that are very discriminatory, that are so against most of our beliefs. But for some reason, we've carved out this little, this little time period, the first nine months of your life, where we say that stuff like that is acceptable because we have dehumanized the unborn. And so our job as pro-lifers, I think, is to constantly get the science, the facts, the messages out there that rehumanize the unborn person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And your film that you have been a part of, let's get into that because I don't want to not talk about that. I watched this film right before talking to you. I watched the whole thing. Wonderful. Way to go. Excellent, excellent video documentary that you can watch. And this is, you can watch it at lifefem.com. Again, it'll be in the show notes. No big deal. You can grab it and you can watch that video. So Destiny, how did you get wrapped up into this documentary and can you tell us like a little bit of like like what it's about?
1: Yeah, I mean it's basically just a 30-minute documentary kind of explaining the concept behind pro-life feminism through the eyes of three different women. Christina Bennett, who her mother actually went to an abortion clinic to have an abortion and ended up leaving and then of course she is the product of that. The other woman is Amy Murphy who when she was in high school was raped by her boyfriend and believed to be pregnant. And the boyfriend actually came up to her and told her like, you know, if you don't if you don't have this abortion, then I'm going to kill you. And suddenly it was her life that was being threatened with violence. And it gave her this whole new empathy for the unborn. And then myself kind of talking about my teen pregnancy. And so between the three of us, we all talk about how we came to this conclusion that Really, you have to view all feminist issues through the lens of human dignity. And when we take that lens off, and again, it just becomes this you know, because we can do something, not whether we should do it, is it actually good for women as a whole? You start getting off in some really crazy, exploitative, like demeaning areas for women. And abortion is certainly one of those places where we've been sold this bill of goods and told that, you know, violence against our unborn children is supposed to liberate us. And more and more women are finding out that that's just absolutely
0: false. Absolutely. There's a few great lines you have. Or to be honest with you, there's actually more than a few, but that I wrote down when I was watching this. One was based on what you just said, that with this abortion issue, it becomes like this right versus a murder. It's either a woman's right or you're murdering a person based on want. I mean, that was when you said that, I was like, wow, that was it was pretty interesting to hear. That brought up in terms of how abortion is looked at through that lens. I'd never really heard it, I guess, in those exact terms before.
1: It's definitely very scary, you know, that wantedness can determine whether or not someone is a human being. Because as you mentioned before, that becomes a very slippery slope. And we start putting all of these little uh, specifications on what makes someone desirable and wanted. And we should never be able to determine another person's right to life based on on a whim and an emotion and how, how we feel towards them. History has shown us that that has never been a good thing.
0: Yeah. Another one of the things that you said in the film in pertaining to women and certain cases of why they would choose abortion, but that abortion doesn't unrape a woman.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, we hear that thrown out all the time as this argument for why we need abortion. Well, What about in cases of rape? And you know, as a feminist, we're always talking about letting women speak for themselves. Like let's hear from women. Let's not speak on behalf of them. Let's not use the most horrific thing in their life as a talking point. And so that's why I love the fact that Amy Murphy is featured in this film and she is actually able to talk about, you know, I was a woman who was raped and, you know, there's a wonderful book called Victims and Victors, which actually goes through the stories of women who were raped and conceived and some of them chose abortion and some didn't. But it really kind of explains to you where they were coming from and the societal pressures that if you conceive out of rape, you're supposed to have an abortion because that's the rapist's baby. I mean, I've never heard a more patriarchal term than the rapist's baby. Like, no, that is, that is your child as well. And so many women have found healing, even after undergoing such a horrific assault, from being able to make something beautiful out of something so horrific and violent. And so the more that we can actually listen to these women's stories and create space for them, the better off
0: that we are. Absolutely. And I, that, that's, that's one of the things that I really loved about the documentary. Highly encourage you to watch it. It really does help you. It does help you or at least remind you if you're not there already that the pro-life movement needs to be 100% inclusive. This is for all life, life of the mama, life for the baby help afterwards help in healing help in all of it and help of all like all different people it's not just this one group of women that's being targeted it's all women and a lot of times too and also i mean in some not in some cases but but the men too because sometimes we feel like it seems like the pro choice movement's like you don't have a voice to say men <laughs> i mean you know that they have no voice to speak up on this issue and they try to silence them because of their maleness or not having a uterus or all these other ideas
1: choice then they're fine with them talking (laughs) it's only pro-life men that they have a problem with but i completely agree i think a lot of people look at you know the diversity in the movement and they get a little bit nervous like oh should we really have you know this group out there doing this but i've actually found that the more fractured the pro-life movement is for lack of a better term the more effective we are, because it means that we are able to reach people that wouldn't otherwise be reached. So there is, there's a group right now, a big pro-life group, and the leader is going around doing kind of an anti-feminist tour. And so a lot of our followers were like, doesn't this make you so upset that she's being anti-feminist? And I thought, no, not at all, because there are anti-feminist pro-choicers who are going to listen to her message who aren't going to listen to my message. So the more... You know, like you said, inclusive and diverse that our voices are with this message, you need people talking about it from a religious perspective. You need people from a human rights perspective. You need people from a scientific perspective, because that's what's going to reach this huge, untapped swath of pro choice people who probably are more pro life than we even give them credit for. But we have just, we've seen that that becomes, that is now the acceptable default to say that you are pro choice. Because unfortunately, the branding of the pro life Label has gotten quite toxic because the media has portrayed us only as crazy people who are out there being nuts. And they're not seeing, you know, the people that you and I know that are probably 99% of the movement who are giving up, you know, extra spare bedrooms in their home for pregnant teenagers who are homeless and, you know, their weekends at pregnancy resource centers and all of their time and talents to supporting women. We don't see them a lot. And so the more that we can get the message out there that, The pro-life movement is not homogenous. It does not look one way or think one way. There's tons of diversity in there. The more people can see themselves reflected in this movement and realize there might be space for me here.
0: Absolutely. Because we all need to come together regardless of age, race, or creed and say, you matter. Your life is valuable. All life is. And I think when when we all start coming together, realizing that no, we're not all going to agree on some one dogmatic theology. We're not all going to agree on what you think taxes should go toward. I mean, I mean, all there's a million ways that we can have disagreements, or how we choose, you know, to vote, or how or our own life experiences. But once again, as we've said many times, as you said many times, and I've said many times in this podcast, what we do have in common is that we all share that great experience of human life, and that's what we need to come together. On to protect and defend and keep that going. I am so grateful for your work, destiny. I'm so thankful for your life, for what you've what you're doing, what you have done, and obviously in the pro-life arena. but just being just being a really amazing woman, an amazing daughter, an amazing you know mama to your babies, I mean that will inevitably speak longer and louder than probably anything else you do when it really comes down to it but you do all of it so well. I am just, I'm so thankful that you've been able to, to share with us your thoughts and New Wave Feminist with us to let people know about it.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. And also thank you for letting me reveal my deepest, darkest secret, my middle name on your show.
0: <laughs> I really am. I'm so honored.
1: and I, <laughs> I just,
0: I, I, I'm still looking down on my piece of paper with it. Destiny Promise. I am so excited about this because it's just so beautiful and it's wonderful. So I'm glad that my listeners get to hear that for the first time. That's a real treat for them. I know. (laughs) Destiny, before we leave, before we wrap up, I'd love for you to give my listeners a challenge. What type of challenge can you give them?
1: So I thought long and hard on this. And I think that the thing that empowers women most is knowing where they can find support on a very local level. So I would challenge all of your listeners today to get online and find out what resources they have available in their area for pregnant women facing crisis pregnancies. So, you know, this is you're standing in line at Target and turn around and the woman behind you is holding a pregnancy test and maybe it appears she's been crying so that you will feel empowered to reach out to her and say, hey, can I offer you some help? Can I show you where you can go to get that help? And you'll actually have the information. You'd be surprised how many people live right down the street from a resource center or a federally qualified health center, and they don't even realize the services that they actually offer to women. So let's empower ourselves by having that so that we can go out and empower women.
0: Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. That is an excellent, excellent challenge. We'll make sure we include all of that in the show notes. Destiny, one more thing before we wrap up. How can people get in contact with you?
1: Probably the best way is through our Facebook page and that will of course take you to all of our other social media. We put a lot of content out there about things that we feel are relevant in both the feminist movement and the pro-life movement and you know ultimately the human rights movement, stuff that we want our followers to get involved in. So definitely check out our Facebook. I'm actually on a short hiatus right now because it's become very clear to me that I need to write a book. I need to put all of this new wave feminist, you know, belief system in down on paper <laughs> in in one easy to read uh, book. And so I'm going to be taking the next few weeks off of social media, but we certainly
0: have tons of content on there that people can pour through in the meantime. Amen. And yes, you do. Yes, you do need to put this <laughs> in a book. Absolutely. That should have been done yesterday. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait for it to be out. Once it is, let us know. I'll have you back on so we can talk about it and promote it. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Destiny. And thank you, my fantastic listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. We have such a fantastic array of people on this podcast. I love that they come from every little corner of the world, from all different types of practice and experience. And that's what I love about that. And because this podcast was inspired by Mother Teresa and how she looked at the world. And she said right there, do something beautiful. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. So whatever you do today... My sweet, kind listeners, make sure you do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And I'll talk to you later.